Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of Cherry Beckert's Tax Beat Podcast. Today's conversation is focused on state tax credits and incentives. It's always exciting to talk with companies that are expanding operations, making investment in new technologies, hiring additional workers, uh, and making adjustments to supply chain, I may may also add. Um, That's where our state credits and incentives team thrives. That's where they love to help people and bring you value. so we're going to spend some time talking about all the fun, wonderful things that we can do there. So joining today's conversation is our leader of our state credits and incentives practice, Melinda. Melinda, say hello. Hello, this is Melinda. I am based out of Houston, Texas. I'm a director. All right. And also uh, her colleague, Nick. Say hello, Nick. Hey, my name is Nick Cousineau. I'm a senior manager in our state CNI group, and I am in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, we got two of y'all today, two of y'all today. Uh, joining, as always, is Sarah McGregor, also sitting in the center of the universe, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, that's how's good. life treating you today, sir? That's good. We refer to it as the tax center of excellence. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Now Excuse that, uh, me. Now Excuse that Nick me. has joined us here, it just proves the point again. So <laughs> yeah. uh, there we're having. Yep. All all good for uh, or middle middle of the winter. And um uh, it's nice to nice to have an indoor job sometimes. Well, well, well. I just got back from skiing, so I've been in, I very much enjoyed all the snow that we're seeing around out out in the west for sure. All right, let's jump into it. Uh, we regularly hear announcements for economic development agencies or new companies moving uh, into certain localities, moving their operations to a new state, to new cities. Sometimes you see two businesses swap, go across the state line in the same city, kind of swap locations. Um, In any case, we're talking about expansions and all sorts of new jobs. Um, So Melinda's Melinda's team works with those companies as well as other companies making more moderate uh, growth and investments in workers. So Melinda, tell us about state credits and incentives. We have five dedicated full-time professionals throughout the country. We offer three services. One, our statutory credit review. We'll take a look at your tax return to look at any tax credit opportunity, help you amend your return and get your refund. Second, we can assist with discretionary incentives. We'll review your CapEx, identify any financial or tax incentives. And lastly, we'll provide site selection services where we identify potential sites and help you secure any CNI benefits and provide cost and benefit analysis. Because there are more than 2,300 state and local CNI programs out there, and also the federal and state government provide $95 billion of tax and financial incentives annually, our goal is to help companies identify statutory credits, help them negotiate incentives, and also these incentives could be any cash grants, property tax abatement, sales tax refunds, utility incentives, or any above-the-line opportunities. Well, that's a number that can get anybody excited. All right. So, Nick, let's go a little bit deeper on state credits. Um, which credits are the most common for companies to claim in these situations? Yeah, thanks, Brooks. So the most common credits are going to be your statutory credits, meaning that those are the credits that you uh, either qualify or are disqualified from based on some fairly bright line parameters and you claim on your income tax return generally. 
Um, and then the most common style will be a, a credit based on jobs, so a jobs tax credit for adding, adding new jobs. Um, another very common type will be uh, a credit for investments in real or personal property, usually as a percentage of the, uh, the real or personal property that you're adding to your company. Most states have uh, a jobs tax credit, um, and that could range from a few hundred dollars per job. Um, all the way to um, $125,000, uh, one job in South Carolina in a certain county can, can earn that much over a five-year credit window. So um, they're all over the board, and uh, we're talking little numbers, big numbers, um, but those are kind of the most common jobs tax credit and investment tax credits. That's pretty pretty extensive uh, payments that are available there. But you were talking about these credits are not just on a go forward basis, but can also be claimed on a on a look back or on an amended return. Absolutely, yeah. So part of what we bring to the table is we can go back uh, as long as the statute of limitations is open. Generally, a three year window, sometimes one. Um, and we can go back and amend returns for these statutory credits, such as the jobs tax credit or investment tax credit and work on getting the taxpayer or the company a refund of those taxes that they overpaid once the, the credit is claimed. Uh, additionally, we can um, you know, look back maybe past the statute of limitations in some situations and generate credit carry forwards for our clients. So maybe they're not amending their return and receiving a refund, but it's a great opportunity for the credit to carry forward, you know, carry forward those credits into the future um, and, you know, uh, have value that way. So a job added in, say, 2017 or 18 might still benefit a company on their uh, 2022 tax return. Absolutely. It could it could benefit uh, them on the 2022 tax return um, or, again, add to their credit carry forward, which, uh, you know, a lot of these states have a, a five to 15 year uh, carry forward. So it's always better to claim the credits while you're generating them and then, you know, use them you know, in the next decade plus uh, when you have taxable income. So I guess this is a uh, nuanced question, Nick, but, but do any of these states offer refund credits, you know, uh, that you can get cash back regardless of tax or are they all pretty much a reduction in uh, otherwise paying tax liability? Yeah, that's great. Um, so at Georgia, for instance, we have a lot of clients in Georgia that claim the jobs tax credit. Uh, it depends on the county that the taxpayer is located in and that they're operating in. But oftentimes in Georgia, the excess jobs tax credit that the taxpayer earns that they can't apply against their income taxes may be applied against their state withholding taxes, their payroll taxes. Wow. And that is extremely valuable, um, of yes. course, for companies that are in a loss position, have other credits that they've already earned that they're applying against their income taxes. And, um, you know, income taxes are filed on an annual basis, of course, with your payroll taxes, uh, you can eat through those credits depending on the size of your workforce generally pretty quickly. Right. And that, you know, can bring a lot of present value to the client versus waiting for the, the next taxable year or whatever. So said another way, uh, uh, your your proposition upon which with, with which I agree is that a credit against your payroll taxes is as good as a cash refund um, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Very good. So, Melinda, we're, we're continuing to see competition across state lines to attract business investment employment. Uh, what are the you know, what's your take on the trends out there? 
So I continue to see companies, headquarters, employee moving from the West, California, Oregon, moving to to East, to Texas or Tennessee or Florida. And also I continue to see the people up in the Northeast moving Southeast. So with that, the competitions remain fierce between states, even localities right now. Just to give you some example. So in North Carolina, South Carolina, they're competing with Virginia. So they offer similar incentives, but a little bit different. And also I see the same training, Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana, all those states offer similar incentives, but just with a little bit difference between each one of them. So pre-pandemic, the states really focus on real estate, capital investment, and also job creation. But post-pandemic, they're looking at job retention. They're, they're looking at training because a lot of people are not investing in properties anymore. So now the incentives are tailored towards more job retention, you know, such as offering training grant to the employees to help them upskill their skill for the for the workforce, or also offer remote employment. And that's also a very popular um, incentives right now for companies to have. And also due to the shortage in, in labor, so there's increased automation. So incentives are related to automating your manufacturing process. That's also another great incentives they're offering. Great. And Melinda, these incentives, uh, the states expect a certain amount of investment in job creation or retention. Uh, how does that work? That's right. So usually before the state is willing to give you any incentives, such as cash grant, they require you to make certain capital investment or not capital investment or job creation or both. So, for example, if you say that you are going to create 25 jobs and they may offer you $2,000 per job if you create them and they must meet the wage requirement for the city, the county or the state. And sometimes you have to offer health insurance and sometimes you have to offer you know, different benefits to keep your employees happy. So those are all included in the incentive agreement. And if the state offers you a sales tax refund, you, they have to make sure that you're making, you're purchasing, purchasing those equipment in order for you to get the refund. In most agreement, there's also a clawback provision. So they wanna make sure that you're staying in business, staying in operation at your location for the next five to 10 years. Otherwise, I'll make you pay back a portion of the benefits. Well, then that brings me to, to my next question. What happened on, with those clawbacks during COVID? Because I know people were, companies were having struggling to maintain workforce, um, if not drawing down their workforce. How did, how did companies deal with these commitments they made to increase jobs and uh, make investments? Great question. So during COVID, a lot of companies were not able to meet their requirements. So we were helping them re renegotiate with the city and the state government. For example, if the project was supposed to be over a five-year period, adding 50 jobs, we have gone back to the state and say, why don't you give us seven or eight years so we can make up those job creation or job retention? And also, if the investment was supposed to be $5 million, we asked the state, can we you know, reduce that to $3 million or give us a little bit more time so we have the time to catch up on our investments? Did so whatever was negotiated at the beginning wasn't necessarily uh, there's there's still an opportunity to to renegotiate those incentives and those and those contractual uh, expectations. Great. Right. That's right. Did you find most of the localities amenable to that renegotiation process? Yes, almost all locality were because they would rather let you continue your business and not list the whole project. Okay. So those they were very open to negotiations. Good. All right. So, you know, 
Nick, I'm just sitting here, you know, listening to y'all talk. It just sounds like they're just, you know, just so many different things to look at and so much out there. Um, how do you know, you know, before you know, what is kind of like the minimum level that you need to look at before you can even start getting excited about looking at all this stuff? Are there some rules of thumb for kind of uh, for entry barriers, so to speak? Yeah, the general rule of thumb uh, that we like to give clients is $5 million of investment and or 25 new jobs for creation. Uh, and that is a good offer um, or a good investment and good jobs numbers that we can bring to the different localities, state, county uh, governments in order to negotiate incentives for them. Um, in terms of there being a, a bright line, obviously that, that changes state by state and sometimes even county by county. Um, in South Carolina, for instance, uh, there is a small business jobs tax credit that requires only the creation of two net new jobs in a year. Um, obviously, you know, if we're going to get involved, we like to get involved with with the bigger projects. Um, but there's certainly lots of opportunities to, um, you know, to claim these credits, no matter what the size of your investment or the the number of jobs that you're adding. But as a general rule of thumb, if you're you know have a have a three year plan where you're going to be investing five million dollars or creating 25 new jobs in the next year, two, three, um, that's definitely definitely the time to uh, start talking to us before you sign any agreements or you know make any investment. Great. All right, Belinda, uh, earlier we talked about site selection services. Tell us more about this and uh, you know, how you go about that process and what value you deliver in it. In our site selection process, so we'll help you negotiate incentives with state and local government. In addition to that, we'll help, to help you do analysis on your labor market, transportation, tax, and also the cost of doing business at each site. And that way, the company compare site A with site B to see which site is better for them. And also besides that, we'll also look at demographic analysis. And this is very important, especially for the younger generation. What's the community characteristics and what's the culture of the area? So those are all different factors to help company decide which location they want to go to. And is it possible? I mean, I assume it's possible in your kind of process, you can almost create a bidding war or, or I mean, or something somewhat like an analogy to that. Yes, that's what we usually do. We'll take the bordering state or the bordering city town and then ask them for a proposal on what they can give us. It could be even a, a lot across the street that could be a different county. They may offer different incentives. So usually we take one location against another location. If you think about back in when Amazon was looking for HQ2, that's exactly what they did. They asked for bids. They received more than 200 different proposals from every city, city throughout the U.S. So that, that would be a similar process we would do to help company identify the perfect location for them. So as a follow-up question, is a locality generally locked into a, you know, a standardized offer, so to speak, or can, if you go back to them and say, the location across the street is offering this, do, do you find most localities have the ability within their governance to actually increase if they, if they desire? Yes, everything is negotiable. So usually right. they'll give you a mediocre offer. And then if you go back and ask for more, or if you, rather than getting an income tax benefit, you can go back and ask for a sales tax benefit if you're not paying any income tax. 
Mm-hmm. So from our standpoint, we can help our client to maximize their potential benefits. Okay. It, this doesn't just mean moving to a new location. This can also apply to a company that's planning to add additional uh, square footage or a, a new production line or uh, a, along there, that that kind of expansion as well. Right. That's exactly right. So if you think of it from anything that's going to bring the state and local revenue, either property tax, sales tax or income tax, and that's the tax dollar, they can share a portion of that with you. Great. And um, can I? Go, I want to go off script yeah. here for just one little second. Just an interesting question: Do do localities ever give an incentive to make somebody stay? If somebody says, "I'm getting ready to leave," and they're not going to do any other thing different other than just uh, maintain their normal course of business, do they ever offer? You know, is there a retention incentive, so to speak? Yes, I we have actually done that for grocery stores. If you don't get me something, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay off 50 people, yeah, and obviously yeah. that would hurt the city or the locality from a property tax or income tax standpoint. Cool. I'm sorry, <coughs> sir. You- uh, yeah, no, I I I think that's been true from some of the the investments here in South Carolina where they have said, well, we could. We're, we like our plant and our facility here, but we can easily pick up and go somewhere else. We're not bothered by that um, in order to get some continued benefits. Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely benefits. true, Sarah. We, we see that a lot in South <laughs> Carolina, um, and there's some, some sort of standard, I would call them, discretionary incentives that companies can qualify for, um, and that's predominantly related to property tax savings. Um, so lots of localities will offer a they call them uh, payment in lieu of tax or a fee in lieu of tax agreements. Um, and it's a it's a similar type negotiated benefit that reduces property taxes, which are obviously uh, a constant whether or not you're, you know, have a taxable income or taxable liability or not. Um, so that's certainly something we've seen where companies threaten to leave and then they, they can work out a deal, um, you know, to make them stay. Did you see a lot of that happening in the companies you've worked with? Yes, I was going to say, I see a lot of that in California, especially in the past two years. If you say that I'm going to pick up my operation, move outside of California, they'll move you up to the top of the competition. <laughs> so that way your instance application gets reviewed first for the competes credit. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of California, we know a lot of those companies are moving to Florida, let's just say. Uh, Florida is kind of the flip side of that coin where they don't have to offer almost anything to companies who are more than willing to relocate into an already pretty tax-friendly environment state. Um, so obviously it depends on where you're at, but um, if you're if you're looking to expand in Florida, unless you've got some pretty big numbers, um, it's gonna be harder to, to capture some of the credit and incentive opportunities down there. Nice, well, I hate to be the, uh, the downer in the conversation, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, Change the law about state grants and benefits, making more of these taxable. So all these incentives we're talking about and these incentives packages, have you seen this this fact that this is now taxable income to companies? Has it has it slowed them down or given them pause in, in thinking about uh, add, adding these incentives? Even if they're taxable, I think companies are still looking for above the line benefits. So this is helping them reduce their operating costs increasing their return on investment. So it's really a mutual benefit between the company and the state and local government 
to attract and retain new businesses and also increase the viability of these projects. Okay, um, I think it's time. Let's move on to the final um, observations and comments. Uh, Melinda, as leader, the floor is yours first. Any uh, overall um, remarks you would like to make? Thank you for having us today. And our goal is to help you find additional cash to help with your business, reduce your operating costs and increase your return on investment. So feel free to reach out to us. If you have any questions, we're here to help. Awesome. How about you, Dick? Anything to add? Yeah, I would just uh, concur with that. And I'd also say, you know, we threw out that $5 million uh, investment, 25 that job uh, as kind of like the one to get excited about, but lots of states, uh, have special zones that you may be operating in that, you know, we can reduce that number of spend and or jobs that need to be created in order to create value for your, you know, medium-sized business. So if uh, that is on the table, you know, come see us and we can help you navigate that and identify opportunities that, you know, other others may not be looking for. Thank you. How about you, Sarah? Uh, I think you said at the beginning, um, it's a lot of fun to be in the state credits and incentives group because you're all about getting money back or uh, dealing with companies that are growing and expanding. So I think that's a these are this is a, a fun area of the tax to to participate in. And I guess I'm going to kind of tack on to that. As fun and as exciting as that sounds, I'm also kind of blown away by the scope, the breadth of all these different things. And I can't imagine uh, people who aren't dealing with this all the time being able to stay on top of this or to understand, you know, it's not even understand the rules of the game. It's just even understand what games are out there to play. You know, it's, it's uh, so, I mean, I think I would just add on, you know, if you're in that situation, I mean, you really need to talk to somebody uh, like Melinda and Nick and their group um, to take full advantage and make sure you're not leaving that cash on the table. Here, here. All righty, let's call it a wrap. Um, this uh, this is our this ends our discussion on state credits and incentives and the opportunities they provide for uh, growing businesses. Uh, thank you for listening in. A quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert, with your specific tax issues or to discuss the information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. Uh, this concludes today's podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Melinda. Uh, thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace. <laughs>